Mike. Lauren. Mike, how concerned are you that your job is going to be replaced by artificial intelligence? <laughs> um, not very. Okay, but how concerned are you that you might eventually fall for misinformation that's generated by an AI that has taken another reporter's job? That is much more concerning to me. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty scary thought, right? Yeah, it's kind of like a doomsday scenario <laughs> in, in our world. We should, well, we're on the Gadget Lab where we talk about doomsday scenarios. So let's get to it. Great. Welcome to Gadget Lab, the podcast where we explore the latest and greatest gadgets and technology. Join us as we unbox, test, and review the newest devices and apps, and provide expert analysis on the latest trends in the tech world. Whether you are a tech enthusiast or just looking for some buying advice, Gadget Lab has something for everyone. So grab your headphones and join us as we dive into the exciting world of gadgets and technology. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's not our usual intro. That is the intro that was written by ChatGPT, a new generative AI system from OpenAI. But first, let's do our actual intros. I'm Lauren Good, and I'm a senior writer, senior robot writer <laughs> at Wired. Uh, my name is Michael Calori, and I'm a senior editor at Wired. We are also joined by Wired senior writer Will Knight, who joins us from Cambridge, Massachusetts, and who has such a delightful accent that we couldn't help invite him on. Hi, Will. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for having me. Is that your real accent or was that generated by a robot? It's entirely AI generated. It's really, this stuff is getting really good. Okay, so if you're a very online person or you spend a lot of time on Twitter, you've probably noticed people sharing Q&As with random questions and the answers at least appear to be incredibly smart, thorough, and authoritative. These are being generated by the new AI chatbot, ChatGPT. And it's part of a broader trend of what's known as generative AI. This is artificial intelligence that's not just making our software a lot smarter behind the scenes. It's actually creating its own humanish conversations, videos, and even advanced art. Well, I've said before in conversation, this feels like the year of generative AI. But this kind of stuff has been in the works for years now. So I was hoping that first you could define generative AI for us and then tell us a little bit about the history of these giant entities like DeepMind and OpenAI. Okay, sure. Yeah. So you're right that this stuff has been in the works for a while. And the sort of first wave of, of AI advances we saw were algorithms could do kind of discriminatory things. So they would recognize what's in an image or tr recognize the words in speech uh, but there, for a long time, there have been uh, other kinds of algorithms, including ones that will learn from a distribution of data and then be able to reproduce parts of it. And so that's what these generative models are. They're, they're able to reproduce what's found in a, in a data set provided by human-made images or human-made music or whatever. And this has been an amazing year with the, you know, the release of these AI art tools and now ChatGPT. But the, the thing that's uh, yeah, it's really important to just remember that they are just slurping up and regurgitating in a statistically clever way stuff that people have made. So in the case of a chatbot, um, what is the data set that these uh, software engineers are feeding to it in order to get it to spit out speech that sounds human and well put together? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And 
the truth is that the they're not a hundred percent clear on exactly where it all comes from, but it's it's clear when you look at some of the some of the text that it comes from the web. They've scraped huge amounts of data from the web. I think they're also feeding in lots of books. So it's just just millions and millions and billions of lines of text written by by people from all over the place. Um, and so yeah, it can find these these patterns in this text that will resemble the way a person writes. Um, but it can also find you know bad things in that text like bad words, you know, biases, horrible stuff. So one of the big standout features of chat GPT that makes it feel all the more human is that it can follow a sustained conversation, you know, um, like everybody who has experimented with Alexa or Siri or Google Assistant knows that if you ask one of those AI chatbots, which is essentially what they are, a question, and then you follow up with an additional question that plays off of that first question, often those systems don't know what to do because they treat every question like a brand new query. Um, but They're this getting a little bit better. Yeah, they have They have been getting a little yeah, bit better. Like you yeah. could say, like, who is LeBron James? And then follow up with, and how tall is he? And it might get it. Yeah. But it's still not, they're not very clever. Right. This is something that all of these companies have really been like pushing as like the next mm -hmm. big step in this technology. But Chat GPT seems to be able to follow a conversation pretty well over a series of questions, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, there are a couple of interesting things. One of them is that it, it's able, it's got this mem memory, short term memory. We're starting to see that more with these chatbots, these large language model chatbots. The other thing is that it's, been, had this additional training to make it good at answering questions. So it's it's using this model that's been out for a while that can extract information from the web, but they they trained it in this way that they gave it human answers to questions and gave it a kind of reward, like a treat, to try and make it better at answering the questions properly. And it turns out that that produces a much better answer to, to your questions, more coherent, more meaningful, and, and adding some sort of memory as well has made something that's a lot, uh, that's really compelling to people and seems to have caught everybody's imagination. I mean, the funny, you know, funny thing is going back to the very early days of AI, the first chatbots, people were willing to believe that those were human-like. There's famously this one that was made at MIT called Eliza, where it was a, it was a fake psychologist and people would tell it their secrets. So I think we're just really, really well designed to use language and conversation as a, as a way to kind of imbue intelligence on something. And I think that's part of what's happening here. What are some of the most interesting responses you both have seen from ChatGPT over the past week or so? I think for me, some of the most interesting things, interesting answers are some of the ones that look amazingly articulate. They're amazingly articulate and they look very good, but they're actually complete nonsense. They're just, just <laughs> totally made up. And that's one of the things about these models is that they're they're so different from human intelligence in that they they learn this sort of pattern that that is human language and a lot of the signals that are very make it coherent. But some of the important facts you need to know, or you would need like real world experience, they just completely don't, don't care about it at all. So that's it's kind of it's fascinating to see that, and it's it's kind of really it would be very strange if a person was that good at making things up. Uh, for me, I think the most interesting things that I've seen are people who ask it to write like book reports. Mm -hmm. So whether they're students or they're just, you know, doing something student-like, they're saying like, hey, you know, I need 300 words about a Catcher in the Rye. Uh, I just knew you were going to say that for some reason. Catcher in the Rye? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a very book reporty book. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and then 
chat GPT is able to spit out something that the student could turn in, you know, mostly unedited. And it might have a few errors in it. And like you said, it might have some nonsense in it that has crept in somehow, but it's like pretty scarily accurate. Yeah, you could definitely see how this would lead to some plagiarism. (laughs) Is it really plagiarism? That's a whole other question. (laughs) I think I've asked it to do some creative things and I've gotten mixed responses. I asked it to write a children's book proposal about an adorable boy cat named Nougat, which happens to be the name of my objectively adorable boy cat. And it did write a potential children's book, but it wrote it in poem form. It wasn't entirely rhyming, but it was pretty (laughs) clever. Uh, I was really impressed by that. But I also, Mike, you will appreciate, I wrote, write a sitcom where Lauren Good and Michael Calori are housemates. And it said, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately, we combine the cats. Unfortunately, I am unable to write a sitcom as I am a large language model trained by OpenAI and do not have personal experiences or creative abilities. But that's not necessarily true. Like I've seen on Twitter, the CEO of Box, Aaron Levy, has been having a lot of fun with this over the past few days. He's posting like every day some new idea. And uh, he just posted the other day an exchange where he prompted it to write a business proposal for a cloud company named Box that is looking to get into the cardboard box business. <laughs> and it actually wrote a rather funny and clever proposal and why a cloud storage company would want to create an additional revenue stream. And uh, and so like the joke is like, this is gonna replace CEOs. It's really not, I don't think it is. It's really not going to replace journalists. But there are some really fascinating examples being shown right now. Yeah, some of the silliest things are the best. I was there was another one where somebody made a uh, they they asked for a, like I think it was a history essay, but the person writing it couldn't stop bragging about the pumpkins that they'd grown. Was, <laughs> it was actually really really well done. <laughs> so, Will, before we go to break, we should talk about the folks behind ChatGPT. OpenAI is a super interesting company. It claims its mission is to make AI open and accessible and safe. It started as a nonprofit, but now it has a for-profit arm. It actually held back on launching one of its earlier chat tools because it deemed it too dangerous, which sort of created a lot of attention for that chat tool. But some researchers and AI experts say that OpenAI is just really good at marketing and in some ways maybe playing to people's fears about AI. And we should also note that Google owns a company called DeepMind that is working on similar large language models. Will, how alarming is it to you that these pretty big, well-funded, powerful entities are the folks who are building this AI? And what else do we need to know about them? I think we should definitely be concerned that if AI is just built by these big, powerful companies with vested interests and certain directions they want to go. I mean, the one of the jokes about open AI is that they're not particularly open. They, I mean, they definitely produce really cutting edge, good research, but they sort of trickle it out sometimes. And um, they're, you know, they're not necessarily producing the algorithms, which makes it harder for other people to reproduce these things. And they get to decide what, what they can and can't do, which I think there are those who believe that these tools should be more open, should be available to anybody so they can experiment with them and see what they can, can't do. Uh, DeepMind is, uh, you know, is probably the top AI research company there is. I mean, it's sort of like a, it's like if somebody built a, a large university department dedicated to AI, it's, they're, just, they're doing a ton of stuff and um, 
the, you know, the direction of that is though defined by them and by, by their owner alphabet. So, you know, I, I, the, one of the recent things that happened was this completely open tool from a company called Stability AI, which is, uh, was a, was an art tool, but they, they released it so that anybody could, could use it and make it, a, they made it much more accessible. And they made it so that the controls on it, the the limits on what you could do were been removed, which was controversial. But I think there's a really good argument that these tools should be more available and not just in the hands of these big companies. And because we can't get through a show these days without mentioning Elon Musk, we should also mention that Elon Musk is a co-founder of OpenAI. He is the co-founder, he, although he, he, he distanced himself from the company at some point, um, claiming that there would be a conflict of interest with Tesla's AI work. Hmm. Interesting. That wouldn't yeah. seem obvious to me, but hmm. Uh, so real quick, we know that GPT-3 is the model that uh, the, the chatbot is built on, and we're expecting GPT-4, is that right? Yes, the, the rumor is that GPT-4 will come out next year and will blow everybody's minds again, um, as GPT-3 and 2 have. I mean, uh, I'm sure it'll still have sort of fundamental problems, it'll you know, be no doubt be a lot better. But yeah, the, the, the AI behind chat GPT is called GPT three and a half, 3.5. So we're seeing already some of the progress towards four. Um, so one of the things that OpenAI did, which has kind of led to some of the success it's seen, is it's it, it just determined that building much bigger um, models with more data and more compute to a, to a ridiculous sort of degree produces new results. So people didn't really believe, or some people suspected you wouldn't get great new results if you just scaled everything up. And they they just put a huge amount of resources into, into making their AI algorithms bigger and hungrier. Well, they might be bigger and hungrier, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're more accurate. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we have to talk about misinformation. Okay, we need to talk about misinformation. And no, this part of the show is not an AI-generated script. This is a real human-written script, one that, as far as I know, isn't littered with untruths. Because one of the biggest concerns with generative AI is its potential to mess with our general consensus of what is a fact. A chatbot like ChatGPT takes such an authoritative tone and spits out answers so quickly that its answers might seem wholly believable. But it might also be lacking truth or nuance, and in some cases it could even be downright racist or misogynistic. Well, let's move away from OpenAI for a few minutes um, and talk about Meta, because Meta faced some of this recently when it released its chatbot Galactica. What happened there? Right, so yeah, uh, Meta made this chatbot which was designed to answer questions um, about science. So I'd learned from tons of scientific publications, but, and they put it online just like chat GPT to see, see how people would use it. But quickly they found, or people found, I should say that, that it would, you know, spit out these awful biases, these terrible ideas, because partly because, you know, there are traces of those sorts of biases in the data and partly just because it doesn't really know what it's, well, has no idea what it's talking about. And it will sort of conjure up all sorts of things, even if they are kind of horrible. So after a very short period, really, uh, Meta took it offline. And one of the more ridiculous things that it was spitting out was the history of bears in space. 
Did you know that bears were in space? Oh, yeah. I read all about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Wired has done some articles about this in the past, too. Um, so obviously, these these things are rife with misinformation. So what happens with large language models when someone takes a script that was generated by a chatbot, and let's say that script is factually inaccurate, and then uses that and feeds it to another large language model, and the cycle just goes on and on and on. Like, are we entering an era of meta untruths? And I don't mean meta the company. I mean, untruths layered on top of untruths. Do these falsehoods just perpetuate? And I guess maybe I'm wondering if this is any different from like a quack on YouTube saying something with authority about our health. That's just not true. I think we are already in that era, to be honest, because Stack Overflow, the website that posts answers to coding questions, already banned people from using chat GPT um, generated code, right? Because it can look really good, but it's, it has these flaws or it may have flaws, may have bugs and whatever. One of the worries I have is that there, you know, there are already these companies that are using language models to generate tons and tons of content, like marketing copy, blog posts, which they're putting online. And um, so there's there may be this huge, you know, a growing uh, amount of stuff online that's completely unmoored from truth, not made by people and just just kind of weird and dross that could eventually feed back into these models and you know, just exacerbate those, that issue, I guess. So we're seeing these models grow up in public, right? They're released, people use them. We have a lot of fun with them. We notice some of their flaws and then the next version of it gets better. So these, all of these models are, are perpetually iterating and getting a little bit better each time. And one of the big pitfalls uh, that we've already talked about a little bit in early AI was that they would often spew in chats um, like, racist statements or sexist statements, or they talk about Nazis, usually at the prodding of the person asking the question because the person's sort of trying to test its limits and see what it will say. Uh, but not always. Sometimes it just says these things that are, you know, um, a little bit more uh, hidden or coded messages. They've been getting much better at that particular problem, haven't they? Yeah, there's a lot of research going into trying to guide these language models not to produce you know, bad stuff, hateful messages and so on. And, and yeah, there's a lot of work going into that. It's, it's very far from solved. And you can see with something like chat GPT that there is it's sort of, sometimes it's a hack. They try and prevent certain words going in um, and, and you can, you can often get around those. And so, but how to, how to make these um, models behave how you want them to sort of inherently is, is much more challenging It's because that has to be part of the learning. And it's, it's, it's a sort of unsolved problem, how to make them, accurate is an even bigger conundrum because understanding what's true really does require some sort of greater understanding of the world. One of the weird things about these language models, they're kind of frozen in time. So if you ask ChatGPT some stuff, it'll come out of a very dated understanding of politics or whatever, you know, the current events. And so how you create something that has this real world understanding and can therefore understand truth is is really, is really going to be a very big challenge. And there is also the fact that truth is not, you know, all the time there are you know, certain like scientific truths which are accepted and there are a lawful lot of stuff which is gray area and that people will disagree on. And so, you know, that's going to be that's going to be interesting. And, and who knows what what the sort of ramifications of uh, language model that doesn't that it leans too far to the left or right will be. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. When you ask, is it getting better? I guess my question is, what does what does better mean? Does better mean that it's getting faster, smarter, more human like? Um, that we find better use cases for it. 
And then does that run in parallel? Do those improvements happen in parallel with combating misinformation? Because it seems to me like the technology could get better, smarter, faster, but the misinformation problem would persist. It might. It might. And that is, that is I think, a, a big problem because you want to have the best and smartest product out there before everybody else does. But when you put it in front of people, people are going to test it in ways that you didn't think of. Right. right, right. Yeah, we're humans at the end of the day who are putting these prompts in there in this chat box. And also it's pulling from texts on the internet. If it's not just, say, limited to scientific research papers, you know, that are ele elementally the foundational text could be flawed. Yeah. I, I think it's also a problem because humans are very well evolved to respond to language in really, really you know, strong ways. And so if you have something that just gets better and better at persuading, convincing, articulating things, people are going to buy that. And so you could imagine, you know, chatbots that are going to become very, very difficult, much more difficult to distinguish, even for a person who's putting the effort in from a from a machine. And and um, those could be just unmoored from reality or designed to, to sort of give you a particular type of misinformation. Something else that humans respond to is flattery. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to ask about <laughs> Lenza. Um, this is the app that is currently very hot right now. Uh, you feed it selfies and it gives you like a magical painterly version of you. Uh, but from what I can tell, everybody's giving it selfies and it's kicking back versions of them that are like really hot. They make everybody <laughs> look super attractive. Even if it's already an attractive person, it enhances some of their qualities. Um, there's a lot of women who've noticed that when they feed it selfies, it shows them pictures with larger breasts, huge boobs, fuller lips, bigger eyes, all of these things that, you know, are, are psychologically coded as attractive to the Western mind. Um, this is in misinformation, just of a different sort, right? Yeah, totally. It, it's interesting that there are those, um, there's so many lens, like what are they filters you use on things like TikTok and even some of these video um, apps will do that in real time, right? You could, there's a, there's a, Chinese one, which is their replacement for Zoom. And if you go into the details, I don't I don't think you can do this in Zoom. It may be, I've just never seen it, but you can go in and change your face in any dimension you want. You can make your lips fuller, all this you know, in real time. And yeah, I guess we are heading towards some era where there's, it's going to be, you know, you can't believe anything you see or read or whatever. So what you're saying is that you're not actually a fairy prince. <laughs> No, sadly not. Surrounded by lilies, <laughs> because that's what I see when I put your images into Lenza. Oh, is it? I hope, okay, I have, to, I have to try that. I hope you don't mind that I've been feeding Lenza photos of, of Will Knight. <laughs> no, as long as I can see them, as long as I can uh, take a look. I mean, I guess it depends on how far you want to extend that analogy. If it's misinformation to take the app du jour, which happens to be this super weird, creative AI app and create these AI-generated images of yourself. How different, and those are not real. Those aren't what you look like. How different is that from just putting a smoothing filter on on Instagram? Right. Not that much different, probably. So we just have our online avatars, our online personas, and our IRL experiences. And those things are now wholly divergent. And that's it. That's the world we live in. We and all also, have a second life. Also, Who's to say which one is reality and which one is the simulacrum? Oh, such a good word. That's such a good Wired word. I feel like that appears in at least every issue of Wired. <laughs> That's true. Who is to say? 
On that note, let's take a break and we're going to come back with recommendations. Will they be human generated or will they be AI generated? TBD. This is the part of the show where we give our weekly recommendations. But given today's subject matter, we thought we would turn this part over to the AI chatbot again. So I asked ChatGPT, if you had to recommend something to a friend, a book, a podcast episode, an app, a food, an album, what would you recommend? And it responded, as a large language model trained by OpenAI, I do not have personal experiences or preferences, so I am unable to make recommendations based on my own interests or experiences. My sole purpose is to assist you, well, you're not really assisting me now, with your questions and provide you with information based on the input I receive. I'm not able to browse the internet or access external information, so I'm unable to provide recommendations for books, podcasts, apps, foods, or albums. So I think we have to turn back to good old-fashioned flawed humans for our <laughs> recommendations this week. Well, that's not to call you flawed, but we should start with you. <laughs> what is your recommendation this week? Proudly flawed and happy to. <laughs> I can recommend the GPS tracking collar that we got for our expensive hypoallergenic cat, um, which makes it very fun to see where well, we can, we know when, where she is if we need to try and find her, which I have done, had to do a couple of times. And you can see uh, where she's been through the night, all this, um, this kind of little GPS tra trace. There's even a little leaderboard of local cats and national cats. Um, and we have some friends who cats who are on there. So it's kind of a little social network. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a little, it's a bit creepy, a bit big brotherish, but um, at least we know where she is. And uh, unfortunately, yes, unfortunately, she's she got frightened by something and is stuck at home for the last three days. But I can see where she was, so I may go and try and figure out what it was that terrified her. And how was she doing on the leaderboard? She was number one in number one, Leona. the neighborhood. Yes, she's very active. That's amazing. Also, it's so funny that you said it's like a social network for cats, considering cats are incredibly antisocial. <laughs> that's not true. That's a that's a myth. They're very social. It's misinformation. I mean, mine is social with me, but he hates yeah. everyone else. Yeah. Well, they, we should cross. I'll cross reference the GPSs because I think they're going around together and doing things. Maybe <laughs> there was a brilliant British TV show where they put cameras on cats, and they actually found that they had much bigger territories than they thought. And they found a lot of social activity that they never realized existed before. Uh, what's what's the name of the caller? It's called Tractive. And how much does it cost? Oh, I think it's like $50 and then there's a subscription. I can't remember exactly what that is. I try and put it out of my mind. But my wife loves it so much that it's we're well and truly subscribed. <laughs> so basically, we, we know who runs your household, and it's Leona the cat. Absolutely, 100%. It's a pretty good one. I think we're becoming the, the podcast for smart pet collars, because when Andrew was on a few weeks ago, he recommended a smart collar for his dogs. <laughs> yeah, we're all about surveillance on this show. <laughs> yeah, clearly we are. We're our animal overlords. Uh, Mike, what's your recommendation? Uh, I would like to recommend a mechanical keyboard. This is something that I just reviewed. So if you're interested in learning more about it, you can read my review on wired.com where my writing appears. Um, it is a keyboard by DOS Keyboard, a Texas company that makes excellent professional kind of high-end mechanical keyboards. And it's called the Mac Tiger. Uh, so it's also cat themed. Um, it's specially made for Mac compatibility. So 
you know, with mechanical keyboards, most of them have a PC, like a Windows ready layout on them. So when you plug them into a Macintosh, you can get the numbers and the the characters, the, the letters to show up. But all the other stuff doesn't usually work, like the spaces keys, the modifier keys like command and control. Um, if there's like a volume knob or play, pause, media control keys on a mechanical keyboard, often they won't talk to whatever application you're using on a Macintosh. So a Macintosh, out of the box, Macintosh compatible mechanical keyboard is kind of a rare thing. There are some good examples out there, but this one is new and it's very nice and it's very exciting. I've been using it for about three months and I really love it. Uh, so I gave it a good rating and I highly recommend it. I will say the Mac Tiger is expensive. It's over $200, which is a lot. Mechanical mm -hmm. keyboards usually top out at about $160, $170 for like the nice ones. So it's like a deluxe keyboard. So you will pay a deluxe price for it. But I'll also say the holidays are coming up. Mechanical keyboards go on sale quite often. So if you're interested in it, you know, maybe set up a price alert or something for it. Is it ergonomic? Uh, what do you mean? Well, when you're using it, do you feel that it's more comfortable for your hands and wrists? I do. Um, there's one thing about it that I don't like, which is that a lot of keyboards have little feet that are on the back of the keyboard mm -hmm. that ad adjust the tilt. Mm -hmm. This doesn't have that. Uh, it has a pretty comfortable wedge shape to it. So if you type on it, it feels comfortable to type on. Also, the switches on it, like the thing that gives mechanical keyboards their sort of springy character. Uh, it's a really nice switch. Uh, it's like a, I think it's a red switch for switch heads out there. Um, so it's comfortable because it, you know, it, your hands kind of bounce along as you type on it. So it is, it is a very comfortable experience. Thank you for that recommendation. Sure thing. I will Any, not be buying it, but it sounds cool. Maybe it's not your type. <laughs> no, no. It sounds like if I wanted to up my typing, I would just use GPT Chat, <laughs> Chat GPT, whatever the heck it's called. I would just have it type for me. Isn't the promise of AI anyway? Yes, do all of your work yeah. for you. What is your recommendation this week, Lauren? My recommendation is somewhat related to Will's recommendation, except instead of tracking your cat, maybe you should track your keys. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I have lost my keys again for the second time in three months. I lost them yesterday. I was a little bit distracted going from point A to B. I don't even, I have no idea where they are. It's a little concerning to me. Yikes. Yeah, and it includes my car key too, which is if you've ever had to get a car key replaced, it's it's like really, it's really something. <laughs> Thankfully, you have some experience in getting a car key replaced. <laughs> so yes. yes, because three months ago, my keys went into the ocean and I had to, uh, I was standing in a wetsuit on the side of the road for a few hours waiting so, for a locksmith. So what's what's your proposed solution? Here? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So the solution, I mean, I could just complain for the next 10 minutes. Would you like me to do that and talk about how distracted I am? <laughs> I put on Twitter last night, what like what is the universe trying to tell you if you are losing your keys with alarming frequency? And um, someone actually responded, it was quite funny, and said, avoid crypto, because obviously you wouldn't want to lose your crypto keys. Uh, that was the best response. But a couple people were like, you may have ADHD. And I was like, oh, okay. Twitter diagnosis. Speaking of not believing health information you read online. So um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> a couple of, <laughs> I'm not distracted. A couple of other people said, just get a Tyler and AirTag. Like, 
of all the people who do not have a tile or air tag on their keychain at this point in time. The personal technology reporter for Wired. Yes, like it should be me. Yeah. And also I should have learned this lesson in the fall and I didn't. So now my recommendation would be slap one of those bad boys on your keychain unless you have serious and legitimate concerns about being tracked or stalked in some way that I absolutely understand that. But otherwise... Just put a put a Bluetooth lost item thingy on your key thingy, and then hopefully you don't end up in the position I'm in again. Are you going to get the AirTag? I think I will. Yeah. I might even have AirTags floating around at home. So Solid. Yeah. So that is my recommendation. Keep track of your keys, folks, and your crypto keys. Well, that's a solid recommendation, Lauren. Thank you very much. I really sincerely, for your own sanity, hope that... <laughs> You follow through with this and that it works for you. I think you're hoping for your sanity. No. Because twice in the past two weeks, I have texted you and said, Mike, do you still have that spare house key of mine? <laughs> because <laughs> I've lost it. Always happy to help you out, but Thank I'd you. be more happy if you were not stressing about losing your keys again. <laughs> Thank you. Uh that's our show for this week. Will, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. We'll put our handles in there. Our producer is the excellent and very human Boone Ashworth. Goodbye for now. We'll be back next week. It's from the chatbot. Here's a potential children's book about an adorable boy cat named Nougat. Nougat the cat was an adorable little boy with soft, fluffy fur and a playful toy. He loved to chase balls and climb up the curtains and cuddle up close when it was time for his naps. That doesn't rhyme. <laughs> Nougat was curious and always on the go, exploring the world with a happy-go-lucky glow. He made friends with the birds and the mice in the walls and always looked forward to his next adventure, big or small. One day, uh-oh, Nougat went outside to explore. He climbed up a tree and jumped onto the shore. But when it came time to come back home, he realized he was all alone. Nougat was scared and didn't know what to do. He meowed and cried, but no one was near. He wandered and wandered, but couldn't find his way until a kind lady saw him and took him home to play. <laughs> Nougat was grateful and cuddled up close. He knew he was saved and loved the most. Oh, and man. from then on, he always remembered to stay close to home and never wander the end. I wrote a book for me, Nougat. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good, except for when it didn't rhyme. <laughs>